you have your Bibles, would you open up to Ephesians chapter 1? I will read verse 9 and 10. And then I will go to Galatians and read a couple of verses from there. And I will continue to speak on the end, talking about Christian eschatology. To understand the plan of redemption. I'll give you a moment. We will read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Paul saying, Also making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his own purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullest of time to unite all things or sum up all things in heaven and on earth. Would you turn to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great, wonderful plan that you have lavished upon us with all insight and wisdom, Father God, of summing up all things in heaven and on earth in your Son, Jesus Christ, his wonderful and marvelous crucifixion and resurrection, Father God, and sending of his spirit, Lord, into our hearts by which we cry, Abba, Father, and at this time and season in this plan of redemption, Father God, the church age, the age of the spirit, when men and women are born again, we are filled with your spirit, Father God. We do cry, Abba, Father, we thank you, God, that you are summing up all things and that we are part of it, that there is a plan to human history, God. It is not a mystery to us who are called by Christ. God, we understand death. We understand destruction. We understand that there is a beginning and there is an end. We thank you, Father God, that we have the down payment, the guarantee, the taste of the powers of the age to come, Father God. That we are not wandering around in the darkness, in a maze, trying to figure out what is life? Where am I? What's my life all about? But we fully understand that you are summing up all things in heaven and on earth in Jesus Christ. And that we are no small part of it. We are not insignificant. That each and every one of us were chosen specifically before the foundations of the world to be in Christ as you are summing up all things in Christ. We thank you, Father God, for our salvation. We thank you for lavishing us with the Spirit and opening up our minds to truly understand what it means when Paul says, and then the end will come. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to review a little bit about last week's service as we spoke about, excuse me, <clears throat> Christian eschatology, and it's a, a word that means last things. 
And why is that important about last things as a Christian? Why should I understand about last things? And we spoke about it from a practical point of view and a theological point of view as Christians, as human beings. It's talking about the future. And as we spoke about the world and unbelievers, all are looking for a better future. Everything we do in life is looking for a better future. There's few people in this room right now who are probably thinking about trying to redo something they did 20 years ago. Uh, We can regret things we did 20 years ago, even regret things last week. We can't change it all, but we have a Redeemer, praise God, and he sets the record straight for us. He's constantly setting the, the record straight for us. But all of us here find some sort of satisfaction today as we sit here with some kind of plan for the future. We have hope. It could be a retirement. It could be a vacation. It could be a doctor's report. We're all holding on to something that says the future's a little better. Am I right? I mean, that's the world. Everybody does that. It's, it's part of uh, anticipation and hope of something better. It brings some kind of peace and joy into our life. No, we're planning on something. We're moving forward to something. Uh, the world is doing that, but the world is, doesn't understand where it's going because it has no idea where it came from. As Christians, we understand where we are going. Our ultimate hope is not in what anything this world can give us. Our ultimate hope is being with Christ forever. We sing about it. We read it. We pray it. Uh, but And God wants us to have a substantial, substantial uh, a place in our heart that our ultimate reward and goal is to be with Christ in a new heaven and a new earth. Because that hope, even the grave can't steal. Satan can't steal it. And sin can't steal it. No one can steal it. Man can't steal it. So strong is that hope that's laid up for us in heaven that moth can't eat it and rust can't corrode it and thief can't steal it. Understand something. The grave can't come near it and God wants us to have this ultimate hope in our heart. This is the Bible. This is the Word of God. This is Christian eschatology to understand last things. The world has no idea where it's heading. It has no idea where it's in, where it's at. It has no idea where it came from. And the world is a confused state. Am I right? I'm not going to go over last week's message, but it's important to have a a, a perception of time, and even redemptive time. We are all uh, uh, creatures of time. Time has a place in everybody's life. If not, we'd be disoriented. And as I spoke about last week of spending quite a few hours and days with people in, in, in hospitals and they're asking you whether it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon or it's 6 o'clock in the morning when it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And they're disoriented. They're not there. There's something missing. They, they cannot uh, have any kind of equilibrium to enter into a relationship and to find out what's going on and to enjoy life, so on and so forth, because there's so much confusing around Well, redemptive time is the same thing. We need to know where we are in redemptive history. So as I prepared to speak on Christian eschatology, to speak on the end, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, and then the end will come, and that we should have a joy in that, I thought it would be appropriate to speak about the different times of believing history throughout the ages since Adam and Eve and to where we are today and how God perceives time and how God's people have always perceived time and where they were going, where they found their hope, and how important it was for God's people throughout the centuries to know what God was and what God was up to and what God was expecting out of them. Because history teaches us when they didn't, they were a mess. 
History always teaches Christians. If we don't know what God is doing, if we're not engaged in what God is doing, we will be a mess. We'll be a mess. I will speak more about that next week. So the importance of understanding where we are in Christian time is, uh, hopefully you will see it as we go along today. But we learned last week that humanity knows not anything about where they came from, where they're going, or where they are in human history now. They have no purpose. There's no unifying thread for humanity. They're searching and groping for some kind of answer. But the Christian knows better. The Christian knows that God has a plan from the beginning and has been actively guiding human history to this end. It can be a scary thought if you don't have Christ. That God is guiding human history to a purposed end. That there is an end to human history. Even in the face of the worst times, God is bringing out the best of results. And of course, we all have to look to the cross. Is the worst event to take place on planet Earth. A planet filled with terrible events. And we know that God was behind it for his glory and humanity's good. Christians know that. So when we hear a terrifying things taking place in the world, and it even hurts us, and it mourns us, and it concerns us, we know that God is ultimately in full control. And how important it is that for us to know that. The best human thinkers cannot see any unifying thread in human history. Only at best human development, both the good and the bad. Though there's been great advancements, especially over the last 500 years in education, technology, medicine, science, and other areas of life, man is still a sinner. Man's heart is still filled with hatred, prejudices, greed, evil, there's wars, there's poverty, there's murders, uh, the continued fears that nothing's going to change in this world no matter how much we try to. Life is empty, but worst of all, mankind is still an idolater. But the scriptures hold out to us a grand design to human history, a unifying thread. It's called redemption. And that's important for all of us to notice. This is what makes, it gives a, a clear understanding of human history. It is redemption. That God is calling out a people onto himself from all four corners of the earth, no matter what millennium we have lived in, God is calling a people out for himself. And this plan is a, a unifying thread, God's plan to unite all things together. So thorough it is that it unites things in heaven and things on earth through Christ. This plan has a beginning. We will look at it, a middle. We will look at it and an end. We will also look at that. This is God's timetable, and like we spoke about last week, this is important for us to understand. Like I said, we structure life around time. And we need to structure life around uh, redemptive time. There is spiritual time. We have to know where we are in our spiritual life. If I was to ask you right now, understanding where redemption is, has it touched your life? Have you thought different, acted different, desired different? Do you pray different knowing you're getting closer to seeing Christ one day? I hope you say yes. And if you cannot say yes, then you have to ask God, why can I not say yes? Time is changing for us. Every day, every week, every year, we're saved. The Bible says that salvation is closer to us today than when we first believed. 
And we'll speak about this next week so that Paul exhorts the readers, because of this, salvation is closer today than when we first believed. Let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us cast out the deeds of darkness. Let's not carouse and get caught up in drunkenness, but let's, let's walk as children of light. Why? Because he knew the time. He knew the time. We need to know the time. We need to recognize that time is changing. And the closer we all get to Christ, guess what? We should be changing. Time does that. Nobody's going to wake up tomorrow morning and hear that alarm go off and go to work without getting prepared. We don't not get prepared from our cup of coffee to getting dressed. Spiritually, the Bible says it's the same thing. Because we know the time is near. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is important for us to understand this. It concerns me at times when people don't recognize this. Let's not be disoriented. Let us fully be aware of what's taking place. Not just in the world, but in our personal life. And that Christ expects us to be ready, as he says himself, as the five wise virgins. How important that is. We'll speak about it tonight from creation, the prototype. What happened outside the garden between Seth and Noah. Then God's plan of redemption in Abraham. Then God's plan of redemption time with his family. Then God's timetable for the nation of Israel. Then Christ. Then the church age which we're in. And then we'll be speaking about finally the new creation the new heaven, the new earth, the new people of God, the new Jerusalem, and back to the garden all over again as the weeks go on. But tonight I want to speak about the garden. Most of us know it in Genesis 1-3 to that there was a beginning. And this time was a time of a face-to-face relationship with God. It was a time of the greatest peace and joy, of the greatest contentment a soul could actually ever know. Do you know that Christ didn't have the contentment in his heart? The way Adam had it. Did you ever realize that? There was a time in the season there was no sin at all. There was no temptation at all. It was blessed unity between Adam and God and between Adam and his wife. Even Christ at the best had to be born into a sinful world. With tension all around amongst the sinful people. He was tempted in all things but without failure. He lived under the law as we read. Adam had one commandment, don't eat. Christ had to live under all of them. The relationship in the garden is where we're going back to. It's where we're going. To have this joy, this satisfaction, this contentment, to do nothing but all eternity but to enjoy God. I, don't, I can't tell you too much more about that. I'll do the best I can. But that is where we're going, to enjoy God forever. This was a worshiping, loving community with the blessed unity. But when sin came and changed the whole thing, they were cast out of the garden, which was the presence of God. They were cast out of that wonderful sanctuary. And time began something different outside the presence of God. This time consisted of a different kind of hope. They had to offer up sacrifices now. 
And it's important to understand this, and I'll, as we get into it, this is human history was characterized by some kind of primitive sacrificial system that we see Cain and Abel have. But it was a time of hope. But the hope was found in a deliverer. They thought it was Seth. Do you remember what Eve said when she conceived again? And Adam and Eve conceived and bore a son, and they called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, because God killed him. There was hope. There's another Abel. Please don't miss this. Eve is not just saying that. This was a time of hope. She was waiting for someone. Do you not remember Genesis 3.15? That the seed of the woman was going to crush who? The seed of the serpent was going to crush Satan. This was the one. This is the one they were waiting for. It was a primitive sacrificial system with a primitive understanding of redemption. So when Seth came, guess what? They thought, this is the one. In the next chapter, when Noah was born, the father said this, And when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground what the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. That might not sound much. It might not mean too much to you and me. But if you look at what Eve said and what Lamech said about Noah, you can sense the tension that was in the human heart. And they were looking for God. They were looking for the miracle. They were looking for someone to deliver them from the toil. When Seth came, men started to call upon the name of the Lord again. There was a season on this earth that men enjoyed God and they had this hope in their heart. But again, the unthinkable happened. Man takes sin to a whole other level. To the point that it seems that God has all but given up. He sends judgment on humanity in the flood, saving a few to carry on the hope of a new people for himself. And making a covenant with them not to bring another horrifying flood. And also to fill the earth again through Noah and his family. Noah represents a second Adam. But even here, sin is not far from the human heart. Noah makes a vineyard, gets drunk. Cain disrespects his father. Humanity tries to build himself the Tower of Babel. That's unity, man's way without God. And we know the rest of history. It doesn't work. They did not recognize the time. So God calls Abraham now. He goes into a different mode. And with him he makes a new start and a new time. It's called the time of promise. He promises Abraham to give him land and to be a blessing to people. He promised Abraham that he would be a great nation and give him a great name and that kings would come from him. This is the time of promise. Abraham's heart was filled with promise. He knew he was in a special time. And he waited and he longed for the long of the, the land and the promise. So much so he had to wait 25 years and he didn't want to wait that long that he tried to father a child outside of the covenant of marriage with his wife. We all know that that didn't work out. Ishmael was not the child of promise. All along the promise of a unique human being. And please don't miss this. Because we just sang about it. We just sang about the Redeemer, didn't we? All along, the promise of a unique human who will crush the serpent's head is behind the scenes of human history. 
human civilization. They laugh at the cross. Humanity today laughs at the cross. It is the very thing God is using to sum up all things in heaven and earth once and for all to bring unity to God and between humanity and the world mocks it because it doesn't know the way Jerusalem didn't know the time of their visitation. Every time we speak of the gospel, you could be here today hearing about salvation and not be saved. Do you not know this is the day, this is the time of your salvation. We might not get another time. Somehow behind the scene of human history, God is at work. He's always been preaching the foolishness of the cross in one way or the other. The very thing that God is doing, the world cannot see. But behind it, He's summing up all things between himself and humanity to the foolishness of Jesus Christ and his cross. Sacred history, it's known as, or, or redemptive history, all within natural history as it's unfolding. God is at work. This is the unifying thread throughout human history. This is the unifying thread throughout tomorrow for you. This is what gives Sunday its oomph. This is what gives every waking moment to the Christian passion to live. This is what Christ has done and what God is doing through Christ. From Abraham comes 12 sons who turn into 12 tribes. But then the promises were given by God to Abraham, then to Isaac, then to Jacob. They were carried along until they became a great people. <coughs> then God starts a new time in human history. It's not just a time of promise. It's a time of, we'll call it partial fulfillment. All of a sudden, they're a nation. And all of a sudden, this nation's brought into a new land. And new promises are given. A promise of a king will come. Within this nation, original promises of a unique human who will crush Satan's head. Along with the promise of the seed of the woman is now married to another promise of a great king who will rule the world with an iron fist and conquer all his foes. There's also a promise of a great prophet who will speak perfectly to God and his people. And a great priest who has no beginning, who has no end like Melchizedek, who will intercede for God's people perfectly. There's also another promise of a shadowy figure who will call the servant of the Lord, a sort of perfect Hebrew who will perfectly do God's will for his people. There's a promise of a new heaven and a new earth through Isaiah. This season in human history is what we call anticipatory. Might not seem like much, fancy word, anticipatory, but that's what the Old Testament saint lived by. Their heart cried out, when will he come? That was their heart's cry. Every faithful Jew longed to see the Messiah. Every faithful Jew who went up to the festival knew they were participating and, 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 and waiting in anticipation for a Messiah. They understood that they were part of a nation that God had called out of the darkness. They waited. When will he come? When will the lion and the lamb lay down together? They wanted to know. When will the new heaven and earth come? When will the new covenant come of God into effect? When will my sins be perfectly washed away by the lamb of God in Isaiah 53? 
When will I have that new heart? When will David execute? When will the son of David execute perfect justice and sit at God's right hand? It was all these promises and they longed for the fulfillment. That's what it was to be a Jew under the law. A faithful Jew in the Old Testament. Understand something about the Jew of the Old Testament. Even understand something about Christ. The Hebrew will govern everything they were as a people, individually, and as a nation, around the timetable of God's partial fulfillment and future consummation. Their whole day was wrapped up in the early morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice. Prayer at 3, prayer at 12, prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Then guess what they did on Saturday? That was the Sabbath. Guess what they did at the end of the month? That was the new moon. Guess what they did three times a year? That were the festivals. Everything the Jew was so calendar-oriented. They were so, from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, oriented. Their whole life was structured around God's timetable. Jesus was structured around God's timetable. And all this pointed to their minds and hearts, to the moral and ethics of godly behavior. All of it. It structured everything about their life. Until the final consummation would come. But then at the right time, as Paul says in Galatians, when the fullest of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that he might receive adoptions, that we might receive adoptions as son. He finally came. He really finally came. The time came. But guess what? They weren't ready. 2,000 years of Jewish history, probably millions of sacrifices, all the prophecies, and they missed it. Because they did not know the time of their visitation. You would think, well, what does that have to do with me, Brian? I'm a 21st century Brooklynite, and I'm just trying to make it from day to day over here. You know, I accepted Christ. I know I'm saved. But is it over just because we believed in Jesus? You're going to find out next week that it goes a lot further than just believing in Christ. It goes a lot further. When, you, when you, we believe in Christ, you know what you get? Jesus says, oh, here, here's your watch of redemption. Keep your eye on it, okay? Now that you're a believer, you wear a new watch. And we give you a new calendar now. And we give you a new heart. And we're going to give you different seasons. So you know how to live in anticipation and expectation. Hmm, like five vested virgins awaiting the bridegroom. Hold on next week. I want you to know. Hold on. This is all just an introduction, but next week we will move very rapidly into application of what it means to be in the end times, in the last days, 
how important it is to know that. And what the Bible says about us, because there are a lot of preachers out there who are telling the world what they should do when the end time comes. The Bible doesn't tell the world what to do. The Bible tells believers what to do at the end times. It's for believers, not unbelievers. It's to prepare us, not the unbeliever. How important is that is for us to know. What started with a man, Abraham, who lived in Ur the Chaldeans, that went through the whole process of promise given to promise believed to promise partially fulfilled. The kingdom of God is within our grasp now. Salvation is full and free. A return to the garden and relationship with God has been paid for by Jesus Christ. It is all here for all people. The time of salvation has come. The ultimate blessing of Abraham that all the nations of the world will be blessed for you is now here. We are living in the greatest time. But we are we on God's timetable? Are we part of God's plan? Are we involved? Are we wearing the watch? Are we watch, watching the calendar? Are we doing and anticipating what God wants us to do? Are we crying out desperately in our hearts, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus? Is it part of our life's cries becoming more as we get older and we see life changing? Is there a cry within our heart to say, come Lord Jesus? I think pressure itself does that. Personally, I think if we just grew up and there wasn't heartache and there wasn't pain and there was just prosperity and health and all this good stuff, I don't think we might say, you know, not yet, Jesus. (laughs) I know Paul said Maranatha and John said the the spirit and the bride say come, but just not yet. I'm doing pretty good down here. You know, I want to get my handicap down on the golf course, and you know, I want to catch that big fish I know is over in Clove Lake Pond over there. Just not yet. But you know something? Thank God that's not what the promises hold out to us. There is pain in the world, and there's pain in our life. And what it does, it tempers us to realize that this world is not where our home is, that our heart isn't with heaven. And we need to know that all the time because that's God's timetable. And we need to understand that. We now live in a time that Christian think is called the already and not yet. That's what we're living in right now. We have the down payment. We're not living in the Old Testament. We're not living on the type and shadow. Christ has come. Christ is the temple. Christ is the lamb. Christ is the king. Christ is the prophet. Christ is the Messiah. But what are we waiting for? Well, my heart's filled. My heart cries out for Christ. I want more, but I, I feel like I'm there, but I'm not there. There's part of me that says yes, and there's part of me that says no. What is this already not yet? I have the down payment. I've tasted of the heavenly word. I've tasted of the power, the future, the age to come. What is this time? That feels so strange. Sometimes I'm walking in the spirit. Sometimes I'm praying. Sometimes I'm praising. Sometimes I feel so close to God. 72 hours later, I don't even know who God is sometimes. Am I alone? No. I'm exaggerating a little bit to make a point. We're in this already, not yet existence. Sometimes you can feel so close to God. And other times you're like, am I saved? Just to make a point, that's all. It's important to understand the time we live in. Already. 
Not yet. And what God expects from us in this already. After down payment. I know that, I know that, I know. Christians know that, we know that, we know our sins are forgiven. Christians know that, we know that, we know. There is no condemnation. Christians know that, they know that, they know. They're, they're more than conquerors. But life doesn't always sound that way. It's still hard. This is the age of the church. This is the age of the Spirit of God. This is the age of it's already but not yet. But the heart, the heart cries out for more. We'll be speaking about this next week. Let's sum it up. From God's perspective, remember God's time governed the hearts of His people throughout every dispensation. Remember, from set to know was a time of hope. A deliverer would give rest. They waited. Eve waited. Noah's father waited. They waited. There's something more. There's something missing to this human existence. They longed. They waited. From Abraham to Moses was the time of promises and promises and promises. Then Moses came as a deliverer and they got the land. And they got a king. But guess what? The kings constantly failed. Guess what? The people constantly failed. And guess what? They were constantly getting thrown out of the land. But God promised it. Then Christ came. From the first coming of Christ, the fulfillment, the giving of the Spirit, the down payment of the final consummation, the birth of the church age, we live in an already not yet existence. We're right there. And as Christians grow and we mature in our Christian faith, we can tell and we can sense in our heart that God is truly right around the corner. And there's a longing, and as Paul says, and we'll speak about it next week, we long for the coming of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that we find ourselves not in a timeless place, God, that we are moving closer to the end. That salvation is closer today than when we first believed. And God, yes, you have given us with our salvation a different kind of calendar and a different kind of watch, Father God, that governs our heart, Father God. For we know this great love you have poured out on us that we would be called the children of God. But what we're going to be, we do not know. But we do know that when we see him, we shall be like him. And all those who have this hope, Father, purify themselves, Father. So we know there's something greater around the corner, Lord God. God, help us. Give us understanding to the time that we live, Father God. Let us capitalize on everything the Spirit is doing in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.